My text for today comes from Luke's Gospel, the second chapter, beginning in the eighth verse. I'm reading from the Living Bible. There's nothing special about it, but I like the way it said this. That night some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel appeared to them, and the landscapes shone bright with the glory of the Lord. Then they were badly frightened, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you the most joyful news ever announced, and it is for everyone. How many of you know Jesus is for the people who you don't like? Amen. Those you sometimes wish that Jesus wasn't for the people you don't like? Those of you just wish that sometimes the people don't you like would just go right to hell? Don't, don't you? I mean, can we just be? But he's for everyone, right? He's for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem. How will you recognize him? You will find the baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven, they sang, and peace on earth for all those pleasing him. When this great army of angels had returned again to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They ran to the village and they found their way to Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. The shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story expressed astonishment But Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and often thought about them. Then the shepherds went back to their fields and flocks, praising God for the visit of the angels and because they had seen the child just as the angel had told them. Today I want to draw your attention on this album release weekend to verses 13 and 14, which fit worship because it says that the angels, when they announced the birth of Christ, sang praises To the Lord. I want to talk to you today about worship working wonders in your life. Worship working wonders. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you for open hearts and open ears and transformed lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, you may be seated. Max Lucado wrote a book, Because of Bethlehem, and in that book, he wrote this, Christmas and Gift-Giving. The two have always been associated with each other and for good reason. The Magi gave Jesus the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The shepherds gave Jesus the gift of their time and their belief. Mary gave Jesus the gift of her womb. These offerings seem practical. The wise men's treasures could be used to to fund the family's escape to Egypt. The shepherd's visitation would keep the family company. Mary's womb would protect the growing child. But there is one gift that might appear a bit curious, the angel's gift of worship. The angels filled the night with light and the air with music, and well, that's it. They worshiped. Couldn't they have done something more useful? Mary could have used a bed. Joseph would have benefited from an angelic escort back to Nazareth. Baby Jesus needed a bassinet. These were angels. Didn't they know better? Then again, these were angels who knew Jesus better than them. Those who knew Jesus best and loved him the dearest. Those who followed him for the longest and knew him 
for the longest, gave him the gift of worship. We're going to celebrate in just a few days the the greatest day in history, perhaps second only to Easter or the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And God came to our planet not in a way that you and I would have planned or predicted or worked out for him to come to the planet. We would have had the Savior of the world make his entrance in a palace on earth or perhaps a stadium where he could be praised by the masses. But not our Savior. He comes to a stable And you would think, well, that's not really a good place, but he wasn't just a savior king. He was the lamb of God that was, came to rescue us from the sins of the world. And what better place for a lamb to be born than a place where animals give birth? In a few days, you and I are going to celebrate this glorious event and we're going to open gifts and we're going to watch Christmas movies and spend time with families and and friends. We're going to shop until we drop and spend more money than we have. We're going to eat way more than we should. And I wonder with all the things that we are going to do, are we going to give God the gift that the angels gave him, the gift of worship? It's really what God wants most. It's really what God is looking for. And when, when I say worship, I'm not talking about just singing Christmas songs because it's kind of the thing to do. That's not really worship. We could say uh, erroneously so that, that the malls are filled with worship during this time of year because there's Christmas songs in the mall. Worship is more than just singing a song because you have to. Worship is when we really tell God that he is, as Isaiah 9, 6 says, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, and everlasting. Father, worship is when you and I from our hearts express our worth-ship to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's where we ascribe to him how much he means in our hearts and our lives. And I want to give you some reasons why you and I can, can worship God because of what Christmas means. Number one, Christmas means no need to fear God. When the angels first showed up, the shepherds, the scripture says, were badly frightened And rightfully so, because whenever our imperfect humanity comes into contact with God's perfect divinity, you and I have a sense of our heightened sin. We we have this sense that we are imperfect. We have this sense that we are flawed, and we expect judgment, and we expect condemnation, and we expect God to cast us out. But on that day when the angels came, they said, do not be afraid. Why? God hasn't come to punish you. God has come to save you. And it seems elementary, but if we only knew the depth of our sin, we would understand the majesty of that angelic announcement because our sin really does separate us from Almighty God. But Jesus came to get us close to the Father, to bring us back into fellowship and relationship with the Father. No need to fear. I remember as a teenager, God taught me about this meaning of Christmas And the story I'm about to share with you kind of bridges the gap between the first reason why we should worship because there's no need to fear God anymore and the second reason because we are saved by grace. When I was a teenager, I had a girlfriend and unfortunately and regrettably, we were doing things that are not spiritually legal to do until you're married. Amen. So, you know, it kind of amazes me, right? Like, you know, by the time people get married, they kind of, they don't want to do what's spiritually legal to do. Because they've been so used and abused in the prior relationships that that lost its specialness. 
And I say regrettably, and I want to encourage you young people and you teenagers and college students, trust me when I tell you that when you find the person that God wants you to spend the rest of your life with, you will have regretted spending that kind of relationship with people who are just passing by in your life. I'm telling you it's important to wait for the right one. Regrettably, um, as I was a teenager, um, this didn't happen for me. And as I look back upon it now, I think of a time where God really spoke to me. My girlfriend, I thought, was pregnant, and I was, I was sweating it out. And I remember I was in my uh, parents' office, home office, and I just so happened to go over to the printer, and I picked up a piece of paper, and I promise you, not at the top of the paper or the bottom of the paper, but right in the middle of the paper was Isaiah 9, 6. And it said, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. (laughs) And, and, And my heart came up in my throat. And I suddenly realized that my life was about to change. And, and, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to anybody that has had a child before they were married because I understand they are a blessing and that God takes even our blunders, blunders and turns them into blessings. But I thought my life is about to change, not for the better, but for the worse because the girl that I was with was not the right one for me. And I thought this is about to take a bad turn real quick couple of days went by and I found out that indeed she wasn't pregnant. And I found out how that scripture got in the middle of that page. I found out that it got in the middle of that page because my mom was preparing a Bible study. She taught Bible study. And, and she printed out her notes and it just so happened that that was a stray thing that, that printed out in the middle of the page that day. Just, just by coincidence, God had that right there for me to see. And suddenly the Lord spoke to me. And suddenly here's what the Lord said to me. He said, I'm going to spare you the embarrassment of your sin being found out and your life going in the direction that you're not ready for right now. Not because you deserve it and not because you're that good, but because my grace is that good. And I realized in that moment something that has been a lifelong lesson with me. And if you've ever gotten around me, you realize this, that I am not religious in any way. And what do I mean by that? I, I never heap condemnation on people who are doing something wrong. And the reason why I don't do that is because I remember, but for the grace of God, there go I. And I found out something in life. I found out the difference sometimes between two people is that one person had to pay the consequences of their action and the other person walked away scot-free. You know, there's, there's a lot of, can we, can we just be real in here for a minute? There, there's a lot of people in here who coulda, shoulda, woulda had teenage pregnancies. Can, can I get a good amen from some of the adults who are trying to pretend like their kids are doing something that's crazy that you ain't never done before? Can I also encourage the teenagers to learn an important lesson? And that's that all of us who are now in Christ wish that we had followed what God had set out for us to do. But it was in this moment where I suddenly realized something so powerful, and that is that you and I are saved by 
grace. Remember what the angel said. The angel said, unto you is born this day a Savior, Christ the Lord. What does that mean? Someone who saves us from our sins. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I didn't live for it. I didn't believe right. I didn't act right. I just received what Jesus came to earth to do for me, to save me from my sins. I am, you are, we are, we are saved by grace. It is not of works lest any man should boast it is the gift of God and I don't know about you but when I realize God saved me by grace it makes me want to give him the gift that the angels gave him the gift of worship and say thank you Jesus saved by grace could I also tell you pass on the grace remember what the angel said he said I want to bring you the most joyful noise ever announced and it is for Everyone. Not just for you. When you do something wrong. Isn't it amazing how we lavish grace upon ourselves? Anybody a grace lavisher upon themselves? You know, you, you do something wrong, be like, God, forgive me. You know, matter of fact, before you do something wrong and the Holy Spirit says don't do it, your answer to the Holy Spirit is, God will forgive me. We are, we are lavishers of grace upon ourselves. But I've come to realize that if we really have gotten the Christian message, the message of the gospel, then we ought to pass on the grace that is for everyone. It is for not just us, but for every single person. It is for the good person and the bad person, for the polite person and the politically incorrect person. It is for the rich person and the poor person, the white, black, and every shade in between person. It is for the somebody and nobodies, the sophisticated and the shepherds of this world. We need to pass on the grace. We're saved by grace. Don't, Don't put your nose up in the air because you see somebody living beneath what God has for them or making decisions that you have matured past in your life. But for the grace of God, there go I makes me want to give him the gift of worship. But number three, Christmas means God has come to us and for us. Luke chapter 2, verse number 12. They asked, how, how will we recognize him? You will find a baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. It seems like just an ordinary sentence. You know, he'll, he'll be a baby. Listen to it, though. You'll find a baby. You, you will find a physical God that you can touch. You, you won't look up into the skies and see a big light. You won't listen quietly and hear a booming voice. You, you will actually go to a place and you will see God manifest in the flesh. You will see a God that came to us and for us. There's a famous story about C.S. Lewis and, and the Russians. C.S. Lewis was involved with the Russians too, just in case you didn't know. That's hysterical. I don't care what y'all say. That is funny right there. In 1961, the Russians put the first man into space, Yuri Gagarin. Uh, Nikita Khrushchev was the Russian premier at the time, and he had said that when Gagarin went into space, the cosmonaut discovered that there was no God there. In response, C.S. Lewis wrote an article called The Seeing Eye. By the way, if you ever have some spare time, some of the best reading you could do is C.S. Lewis. It's masterful in every way. 
And, and so anyway, he wrote this article called The Seeing Eye, and here's what he said. He said, if there is a God who created us, we could not discover him by going up in the air. God would not relate to human beings the way a man on the second floor relates to a man on the first floor. He would relate to us in the way that Shakespeare relates to Hamlet. Shakespeare is the creator of Hamlet's world and of Hamlet himself. Hamlet can know about Shakespeare only if the author reveals information about himself in the play. So too, the only way to know about God is if God reveals himself to us. The claim of Christmas is infinitely more wonderful than that. God did not merely write us information about himself. He wrote himself into the drama of history. He came into our world as Jesus Christ to save us and to die for us. You will find a baby lying in a manger. You will see God with your eyes. You will touch God with your hands. You will listen to God cry with your ears. You will behold him and handle him. He didn't remain distant. He didn't keep himself immune. He didn't pull rank. He instead put on our humanity, our flesh, our frailty. He walked in our shoes. He cried like we cried. He sweat like we sweat. He died like we died. God came for us and to us. He became one of us just like us except just a little different. Just a little different. He died in our place as a substitute. Why? That was his mission. Not just to come to us. Not just to to know when you pray in pain what it's like to feel pain so that he can be a compassionate high priest. Not not to know and experience on an emotional level because how many of you know that, that you can't really relate to somebody unless you've gone through it? You can be empathetic and compassionate. But can I just tell you, never try to give know-it-all advice to somebody if you didn't go through what they went through. Well, I don't understand why they just went... Like it's so rudimentary and elementary to you. Listen, what pulls you doesn't pull them. What pulls them doesn't pull you. We all are warring. We all are fighting. We are all saved by grace. But Jesus just came to us so that he could feel what we feel and understand what we understand. But he also came for us. He didn't come here to make a cameo appearance on the planet. He came to save us from our sins. And when I realized... That's what Christmas means. Makes me want to sing hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all the praise. Makes me want to shout. But then number four, I worship him because Christmas means peace with God. This is what really caused the angels to sing. The text says, glory to God in the highest, verse 14, they sang. And peace on earth for all those pleasing him. The King James says it like we're used to it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And when we hear this word peace, so many of us think of a, a, a certain kind of peace that is available to us as believers. That peace is what we often seek, uh, a relief from worry, a release from anxiety, a a a. a a hopefulness in our soul when situations aren't going the way that we want them to. What the Bible often refers to is a a peace that passes 
all understanding when everything on the outside is a mess, but everything on the inside says it is well with my soul. Uh, that, that kind of peace, that's a good peace. That's a peace that's available, but that is not the number one peace that God is looking to give you. Matter of fact, in an effort to give you the peace that the angels proclaimed in the text, God might allow you to be unrestful in your soul. Because sometimes it's the lack of peace that causes us to go to the Prince of Peace in order to get the peace that the angels proclaimed on the day that our Savior was born. So what are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about a peace that means an end of warfare. That's what this peace is. A peace that, that means an end of enmity or division or separation. And whether we realize it or not, we must be reminded that our unforgiven sin makes us enemies with God. Even if you're a good person, even if your good outweighs your bad, if your sin is never washed away, if your sin is never... Don't you love some old school preaching every now and again? It's like the church has forgotten about sin. If your sin is never washed away, if it's never dealt with, that sin separates you from God. There is no place for sin in the presence of a holy God. The two cannot coexist. That sin causes division and separation and enmity and warfare. That sin causes us to fight, to live life by our own rules and in our own way. That sin is what causes us to want to call the shots in our life. But when we submit our hearts and our lives to Jesus Christ, when we accept him as our Savior, that sin is washed away and that division and separation is gone and we willfully give up the throne of our lives and our hearts and submit fully and wholly to the one true King of kings and Lord of lords and his name is Jesus Christ. And listen, we no longer become enemies with God, but now we are sons and daughters of God, heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are now, the Bible says, friends with Almighty God. Why? When that sin is dealt with, we become one with Christ. When we, I don't know about you, but when I think about Christmas means peace with God, I'm no longer his enemy. Me and God, we family. We Think about how everything changes when we realize we're family with God. It's my daddy. I preached this to you before. He may be your God, but that's my daddy. See, all of a sudden I realize there's, there's something different. It's, it's not that he's out there. It's that he, he's one with me and, and I'm one with him. And when he looks on me, he wants to help me and love me and bless me and use me. Everything changes when you realize you're not an enemy of God anymore. Makes you want to give God the gift of worship. Number five, I worship him because Christmas means goodwill toward men. I want you to notice that the angels didn't just sing peace toward men. They said peace and goodwill toward men. See, God's primary purpose is to come to save us, to rescue us from our sins, to make sure that we are reconciled with our Savior so that when we leave this earth, heaven will be our eternal home. But God came, more, came for more than that. He came for not just peace. 
not just the, 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 the cessation of being enemies with God, but he came so that you and I would have his good will. You know what that means? That means that Jesus wants you to have the good will of healing. And Jesus wants you to have the good will of being financially blessed. And Jesus wants you to have the good will of having a nice family and a blessed marriage and good kids and good breaks and open doors and opportunity. The Father came for you to not have only salvation, although that would be enough. But God is so good that he gives us more than just being saved from our sins. But good will will we hear on there makes me want to give him the gift of worship. It amazes me when, when people don't like to worship. You know what that means? Can I, can I, can I, I know it's going to maybe be a low blow for some of you. I don't mean it like that. I mean it rather to be like cold water thrown in your face. Right? I don't mean it to hurt you. I mean it to wake you up, right? There's a difference between the two. When people don't like to worship, it's a clear indication something's wrong with their relationship with the Lord. Facts. Yeah. Be- because when, when your heart has been overcome by this love from another world, you, you can't help but worship God. And worship is not something you just feel in your heart. You know, sometimes we, we treat God like, like the, the, the uncaring husband who, who never says, I love you who never says you're beautiful, who never says I appreciate you, but, but just means it in this heart. How come you never tell me you love me? Well, you know I mean that in my heart. It's not the same. And we say to women all the time, am I supposed to read your mind? Is she supposed to read your mind? See, God, God, there's something about worship when worship is released from our mouths. That is the gift that God is looking for. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Tell God how much he's worth. John's gospel says the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Let it go. Tell God how much you love him. And when you worship God in this capacity, can I tell you what worship does? It works wonders in your life. You know, I want to share with you the, the, the story of how faith worship was born. Some of you know parts of it and some of you know all of it. But this is our album release weekend and so I want to share the story with you. 11 years ago, time flies quick. 11 years ago, I went through one of the most difficult, not the most difficult time in my life, one of the most difficult times in my life. It was 11 years ago, 11 years ago, 11 years ago. Why do I say 11 years ago? Because the circumstance that you're currently struggling with will not always be your circumstance. Some of us, some of us get duped into believing that what we are experiencing now that we don't like is what our life is going to be defined by for the rest of our lives. But can I tell you that if you'll, and I'm getting ahead of myself, worship through your circumstances. Your worship will change your circumstances. And your circumstances will no longer be something that you look back on with animosity, but you look at back on as, wow, God really has done something special there. Eleven years ago, I went through one of the most difficult times in my life. My best friend at the time 
We started a business. He stole hundreds of thousands of dollars from the business. I was the personal guarantor and $7 million in loans for the business. And basically what happened was I lost everything, including our family home. And so I feel some of y'all's pain when you struggle. But at the same time, I'm able to look at you and say, God's got you. Don't, don't worry as much as you think. God may be allowing something to be taken from you because he's got something better for you. Just, 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 just worship through. And so during that time, I anticipated losing everything. I, I saw the tragedy train down the road, and I, and I couldn't stop it. And this is frustrating for somebody like me because I always think there is a solution to every problem. I always think there is a fix that we can put in and a decision we can make that can change circumstances. But suddenly I realize there are certain things in life there ain't nothing you can do about it. You can't fix it on your own. And then now as I've spiritually matured, I've realized that's good. What do you mean that's good, Pastor? It's good because if you could fix everything, you wouldn't need to have faith in God. So the times when I come up against a situation that I can't fix, you know what I do? I say, this is good. You know, I say this is good because that means that God's got to fix it. And I've learned something about God. When God puts in the fix, it's a fix. Uh, it just don't fix the problem. It straightens out the problem. It reverses the problem. It brings good out of the problem. This is good. But when I was going through it, I didn't think it was good. The tragedy train was coming, and I couldn't sleep, couldn't think, worried, um, full of anxiety, depression, not fun to be around. You're supposed to say, you, Pastor, you look like you'd be a blast to be around. I'm generally, I'm generally a fun person to be around, but, but I wasn't fun. And I think back to those times and my heart actually hurts because, you know, when you go through seasons like that, I take my, my role as being a spiritual leader of my home serious, and I think about, you know, what my wife had to put up with. Some of you ought to thank your, your wives for what they got to put up with. Amen. The only thing that gave me any hope was I would go into my worship place after everybody else was asleep because I couldn't sleep anyway. We kept staring at the wall, staring at the ceiling all night. And this went on for days and days turned into weeks and weeks turned into months. And the only thing that got me through was I would, in that room all by myself, just begin to worship. And sometimes I'd put on worship music and let the atmosphere of the room just be, just bask in the presence of God and sing along with that. But then I, I pushed even past that into a deeper place of worship where instead of singing along with the words that somebody else had wrote, I begin to sing from my spirit. I begin to let the fruit of my lips give him praise. And what was inside of my heart, I begin to sing to the Lord. And I realized in that moment that these songs were more than just my song to God, but they were something that God was doing in that situation. And one night I wrote this worship song. It was the first one we ever wrote. It was called Miracle. The words are, where are you when I need you? You feel like you're so far. I search for you just to find you where you are. In the still of your presence, I hear you speaking. A call for me to surrender. Surrender all of me. Now the search is over, the mystery's uncovered. I looked inside of me and finally discovered you're the miracle that I long for. Your love is all I need. Only you can change my heart and set my spirit free. Yeah. 
I said to Pastor Ryan, I said, I think God wants us to write songs. And I said, if, if it's just left in my hands, it'll only be poems because I don't know nothing about music. I said, can you please take your gift and, and bring it and we do this thing together and we write some songs and some worship together. And so he came on board and turned it from lyrics into music. And then Blake, who is a savant when it comes to music, by the way, he doesn't he look like a savant. He got the music long hair and everything like that. And, and, and so then Blake came on board and then as they begin to use their gifts, then the rest of the team came on board and, and some some of the kids even came on board and suddenly faith worship was birthed and we begin to write song after song after song after song and God did something. God did a wonder through the worship and worship worked three areas of wonder in my life. I want to share them with you real quick. The first thing that worship does, worship works wonders because it washes over our souls. In that season of my life, it was a season of hurt. It was a season of pain. It was a season of loss. By the way, can I just encourage somebody, refer to your sorrows as seasons. That was, that's, that's such, people say, you know, Pastor, how come we never hear any words of prophecy? You just heard one. Re- refer to your sorrows as seasons. Why? Because you are conditioning your mind that there's an end to it. You're conditioning your spirit that you're not camping out in the valley of the shadow of death, but you're walking through the valley and you will fear no evil for God is with you. It's a season. That was a time when everything was wrong on the inside, but I gave God the gift of worship. And in that season, when I gave God the gift of worship, something happened to my soul. It began to get washed. If my soul was filled with faith and my, my soul was filled with hope and my soul was filled with trust. And then the, the Holy Spirit brought a scripture to my heart that I remembered. And, and he brought many scriptures. And one of them was Isaiah 59, verse number 19. Here's what it says. It says, when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Now, that might sound a little different than the way most of you are used to hearing it or quoting it because most people hear it and quote it like this. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard. And when you say it like that, what you've done is you've put the flooding power in the hands of the enemy. But how many of you know the power of the enemy is no match for the power of God? So when I say it, I don't put the flood with the enemy. I say when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard. And when you put on the gift of worship in the middle of your situation, I promise you that God the flood will wash away everything that the enemy is trying to attack your soul like a flood David said it like this I will bless the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth my soul shall make its boast in the Lord sometimes your soul will feel burdened but when you put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I just, I just feel God talking to somebody right now. Somebody who's, ah, oh, Christmas, I said. Christmas is not joyful. And Christmas because of X, Y, and Z. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Here's what David said. He said, when I bless the Lord, not at some times. Notice he didn't say that, right? Not I bless the Lord 
in the good times. He said, when I bless the Lord at all times, then his praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul, what's your soul? That's your emotions. That's your mind. That's everything that's going on on the inside. That's the part that the enemy is trying to grab you with. That's the part where the enemy is trying to take his claws and reach in and manipulate you with. But when you put on praise, what happens is suddenly your soul, instead of being burdened, begins to make its boast in God. Something changes and God invades your space. Second thing that I want to share with you, worship works wonders because... Worship turns the weary into warriors. Man, did I feel weary in that season. Man, did I feel like giving up in that season. Here's a good, here's a good statement for somebody. Learn how to rest instead of quitting. Learn, learn how to rest instead of quitting. Matter of fact, um, for a lot of 2019, I was resting. And, and I didn't know I was resting until my wife told me I was resting. She didn't tell me negatively, though. I, I, said, I said to her, I said, uh, I'm ready for 2020. She said, what do you mean? I said, you know, I, I kind of was happy with not doing anything more for God. I said, I was kind of happy just putting things on autopilot and uh, enjoying where things are right now. Because can I just be real? It's pretty good right now. And um, I kind of, you know, just decided, you know, I don't, I don't want pressure no more. I want to enjoy just a little bit of the serenity of, of, of things being good. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. This is before my other Holy Spirit, who's my wife, spoke to me. My, my first, the real Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, so, so you're happy with being a poor steward of the influence I've given you? And I said, I got, I got you, I got you. And I said to my wife, I said, I'm ready for 2020. I said, I'm going harder next year than I ever have for God. I said, I'm going to start stepping out and taking risks. Like, like, I, like I did a few years ago. And I said, I'm just going to do what God puts on my heart. And whatever that looks like, whatever that feels like, whatever that requires, I, I said, I'm going all in. And she said, I was wondering when you're going to wake up. She said, I said, well, honey, I felt like quitting. She said, you weren't quitting. She said, you were resting. She said, you were battle-worn. She said, you've come through a lot. You've had a lot of heavy load on you. She said, thank God for a godly wife. Amen. That was my, from, from the lips of my wife, the Lord spoke to me. And, and I felt, I felt, phew, that just refreshed me. She said, she said, you were just resting. And so from that, the Lord spoke to me. He said, learn how to rest so you won't quit. Amen. And so during this season of time, I felt like, I felt like quitting. And I felt helpless. Because as I said before, I saw the tragedy train coming. And I, I didn't know how to stop it. You know, there, there are many times that I, I felt like Superman in life where I just stood in front of the train and pushed back. And the train would stop. And this time as I got in front of the tragedy train, all that I saw was... It's good train effects right there, isn't it? And I wanted to fix it. And I couldn't do anything about it. And then here's, thank God for the Holy Spirit. Don't forget, 
You walk this journey not on your own. You walk this journey through the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. He's your coach. He's your advocate. He's your counselor. He's your comforter. He's your wisdom. He's your source. He's your leader. He's your guider. He's not just a tongue talker. He's all of those other things. And by the way, I talk in tongues a whole lot. And during that period of time, sometimes that's all I did was talk in tongues. Because I didn't know how to pray. Because sometimes what will happen in your life is you'll go through seasons where you will not know how to pray or your heart is too overwhelmed when you can't pray. So what do you do? You start praying in the Holy Spirit. Perfect prayers. And your spirit is rejuvenated and your spirit is filled up. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say this to me. Here's what he said. He brought me to another scripture. And I got so excited about this. Psalm 144, he said, Praise be to the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. And I said, God, I I know what I can do. I know what we can do. In the middle of my situation, I can begin to worship instead of worry. And the Holy Spirit said this to me. It's time for you to understand there are some battles that you cannot fight with natural means there are some battles that you can only fight with the weapons of our warfare which are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds he said sometimes you need to fight your battles in worship because how many of you know this is how we fight our battles this is how we fight our battles put on the government Worship turns the wearier, the weary, into a warrior. You can remain standing. I'm almost done. The third thing that worship works is the wonder of moving both Satan and our Savior. We we hear it all the time. When the praises go up, the blessings come down. When the praises go up, I like to say it like this: God comes down. But here's, here's what you need to understand. It's not just that God comes down. But when God arrives, the enemy leaves. You understand? When God shows up, the enemy can't stay. When God arrives, the scripture says it like this. His enemies are scattered. And, and during that season, here's what was happening. The enemy had me a little bit on the ropes. Anybody ever been had on the ropes by the enemy? I literally felt like I went 10 rounds with Rocky and lost every round. 
But all of a sudden, I decided to worship. And when I worshiped, God showed up. And when God showed up, the enemy took everything that he was trying to grip me with. Depression left and deliverance came. And tragedy left and triumph came. And hopelessness left and, and, and hope came. And, and, and worry about the future left and a future that was bright came. Vices left and victory came. Because when God shows up, guess what? what happens the enemy leaves here's what God told me to tell you some of you need to scare the hell out of the devil because this is how you fight your battles this is how I fight my battles this is how I fight my battles this is how I fight my give you one more worship works wonders because praise will get you paid for your problems see this is this is the peace goodwill toward men just remember this any battle that you go through where you remain faithful to God where you worship through and praise through God will Bring something good out of that that wouldn't have been otherwise able to come into your life. It's a fact. It will, will, will happen. During that season of sorrow, God didn't just produce songs of birth, faith, worship. For me to sing, it became songs for our church to sing. Those songs then became songs that, albeit to a limited audience, have been exposed to the entire world. Way back when, when we first started, I would bring Ryan and the worship team on TBN, and they would sing our songs. And I'd get a kick out of it. Because now they just weren't my songs in the room. They were our songs that were going out on the air to touch somebody else who was in their room at that particular time. And I thought, look at God, look at God, look at God. And then what really tickles me, and don't nobody get dollar signs in their eyes right now, because when people hear this, they're like, oh, pastor must be rich and stuff like that. That's not what it is. What tickles me is that we get royalty checks for our songs. It's more like Nana giving you a gift on Christmas time. Anybody got a Nana that give you a gift? She slips like $5 in the card, you know, and she's like, oh, I got you something, dear. That's a big deal for Nana, right? Can I tell you, as small as those royalty checks are right now, because I don't know what God will do with them in the future. Every time I get one of these royalty checks, you know what I think to myself? I think, this is how I fight my battles. I think, God, you're so good. Look at you, God. Here I was in a situation that looked hopeless, but I lifted up a praise, and my praise has got me paid for my problems. I said, God, you are so good. I want to encourage you this Christmas to give him the gift of worship because I promise you this is really how 
You fight your battles. You fight it in worship. Some of you right now need to put on the garment of praise. Let's lift up a voice with one accord to the Lord.